What's up, guys? Welcome to episode two of the Imperfect Path podcast. In today's episode, we are going to discuss Miyamoto Musashi's 21 precepts and what it means to walk the path. Broadcasting from Gig Harbor, Washington, I am your host, Aaron Myers. Welcome to the Imperfect Path. First off, I want to say thank you to everyone that listened to episode one of this podcast. I got a lot of awesome feedback. A lot more people listened to it than I was anticipating, which was humbling and awesome. But yeah, from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys for uh, giving the show a chance and for the people that you recommended it to, because I had a couple strangers hit me up. So that was pretty cool. Anyway, in today's episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about the... um the concept of the path or walking the path and kind of what my idea is around that symbolic language. But I'm also going to bring in um, Miyamoto Musashi and talk about his 21 precepts for life. And for those of you not familiar with Miyamoto Musashi, if you are a martial artist, I'm sure you have at least heard the name. But in a nutshell, Miyamoto Musashi was Japan's greatest swordsman of all time. He was undefeated in something like, I want to say 62 duels. If I was a better host, I would have the actual numbers, but I know it was at least in the 60s. And after his like final duel, I mean, we're talking duels like to the death, armed combat with swords, right? So he was very well acquainted with the way of the sword and um, what it meant to be a warrior. But after his like last duel, he kind of wrote off the idea of participating in those types of duels and he became known as a philosopher and an artist and a well-learned buddhist and he before he died he wrote a book called the book of five rings in which he explores you know the way of the sword and that martial arts and martial arts in general but for me and for plenty of other people it's like the way of the warrior and it's not just like the physical actually i would say it's minimally about like the physical attributes as far as like you know these repetitions and these techniques i don't know if there's even i don't think he even goes over any specifics like that it's more of like a philosophical book um but anyway most martial artists and i would say like a lot of people it even goes around in like warrior culture and like military law enforcement that sort of stuff in those kind of armed professions but he also wrote something um and i'm gonna probably butcher the pronunciation of this but the dokodo Doko, Dokodo, <laughs> um, which translates to the way of walking alone. And in that book, he outlines his 21 precepts for life, which was like a list of 21 rules that he thought were, you know, I mean, he thought they were important enough to outline and hand down to, um, hand down to his students as a way of um, identifying, you know, the most important parts of becoming the most optimal warrior you can be. And that goes into kind of what my first point was going to be um, in answering the question, well, what is the path? Because I have a podcast called The Imperfect Path. And I had someone ask me, well, what is the path? And I was like, yeah, maybe that's something that is kind of important to go over. So I guess we're going to start breaking it down from here. So I sat down and started kind of writing out because I had an idea of what I thought the path was, but it was kind of a hard thing to articulate. And eventually I came up with this and i think this is a good starting point that the path is the space between who and what you are right now 
and your highest aim and aspiration. But in order to develop a pathway or a clear direction in which to go, you need to start establishing boundaries, boundaries on that path that are going to make the journey towards that end goal as optimal as you possibly can. And for an example, let's use something that's not too like philosophical or theological in nature, but so say that my goal, my highest aim is to have a six pack or to lose weight, just to be in top physical, I want to look like a physical specimen. So that's my highest aim. So what are the boundaries that I need to establish that will help move me toward that end without getting sidetracked? Clean diet. Clean diet will move me towards that end. So if I start eating in a way that is not clean or like I normally do, (laughs) which is why I don't have a six pack, but if I start eating crappy, then I am off the path because I know that that is not moving me towards that end. I'm off and doing something else, but it's not working towards becoming that physical specimen. If I, I need to be hitting the gym in order to get to that point. So if I'm choosing to skip workouts in favor of doing something more sedentary or anything else at all, I'm also not working towards that end. I have stepped off the path towards gaining that, that aesthetic and that functionality physically. So that's the important part is having clearly defined boundaries for your path is going to make it more apparent when you're actually straying from it. I would encourage you to sit down and try and figure out what your highest aim is because it might actually be different than you think, right? For instance, right, that's a, that's a huge one. Like dudes wanting to get in shape. Man, I just want to get in shape. And sometimes if you start deconstructing that or dissecting it a little bit, that is just one component of your actual highest aim, which is actually you want to be the best man that you can be, the most optimal masculine dude that you can become. And I use that as an example because I am a man and I know men, and this is just kind of a conversation that comes up. But I think the most important thing to realize, at least for me, was identifying, again, to use the same terminology that I keep on using, but having a highest aim and a highest aspiration that also serves as a true north that allows you to accomplish the things underneath that that you value, like being fit, like being competent, like having a warrior mindset, like being a good father, like being a good husband, all of that. A highest aim that also encompasses all the other things you value. Man, that took me minutes to be able to get out and figure out, but that is that is what I was ultimately getting at. And for me personally, that means being the best man of God that I can be. And that's my path. That is the mechanism by which I analyze my behavior and the way I conduct myself in the world. And don't get me wrong, I fall short all the time, every day, multiple times a day, but it has been the best aim that I have found so far. And I've gone on a lot of different paths, one of which was following along with Miyamoto Musashi's 21 precepts and trying to become the best warrior, walking in, you know, take, be, trying to live Budo in the, the martial way, or getting into super deep into yoga and meditation and, you know, that spiritual path, which there are components of that to my my faith now, but 
but I found that this one was all encompassing of the things that I already valued. And it's the thing that I have found has helped me to live my, my best life, as the kids say. But I mean it. <laughs> so hopefully those last eight minutes were at least a little bit clarifying into what my idea of the path is. But we're going to go into Miyamoto Musashi's 21 Precepts for Life. And we're only going to cover seven of them in this episode. And I might make it a three-episode thing where we examine the you know seven at a time. But after this episode, maybe I'll just go based on the feedback if you guys want to hear me go over the other ones or not. And he was a very educated Buddhist. So a lot of this stuff does come from that that philosophy, but a lot of it is really good stuff. So number one, accept everything just the way it is. And to me, that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to leave the world better than we found it or try to make things better in a general sense. But I also think that accepting everything just the way it is, is an idea of living in truth and accepting objective reality because of what benefit is it to do the opposite to sit around and wish things were different oh i wish this i wish my life was different i wish my circumstances were different i wish the world operated in a different way well it's not and it doesn't so act accordingly and there's some serious strength and contentment and gratitude in accepting things the way they are there's a saying, and I don't know where it originated, but it was pretty popular in like the law enforcement world and law enforcement culture, and that's the idea of embracing the suck. And I will give, a, give some imagery that is more accessible and something that people can identify with, but say you have to go dig a ditch in the pissing rain, and what's that initial voice in your head say? Man, this sucks. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing this. But the moment that you are able to let that voice go and just lean on into it and it almost turns into like a I don't I don't really know how to describe it, but I'm sure other people out there have experienced it where that negativity goes and there's almost like a beauty and a peace to it. Like you feel alive in it for some reason. Um, yeah, maybe no one else knows what that's like. Maybe no one else has experienced that at all, but that has absolutely been my experience. The moments where I'm like, man, this sucks. And then I can kind of laugh about it. It's almost like an out of body where you're seeing yourself go through this miserable thing, but you know, it's going to be a, a gnarly story on the backside of it. So you're able to just kind of be content with it and sit with it and enjoy it. Cause it's just a temporary thing. And number two on the list Number two of the 21 precepts is do not seek pleasure for its own sake. And I think that most people intuitively understand this, even in Stoicism. And I wrote a note down where Epictetus says, in the long term, the victory of abstaining from pleasure is better than to be overpowered by it. And Buddhism, there is a saying of sensual pleasure is a scratch to an itch, and the itch will become worse the more we scratch. Like if I played the tape to the end of what my life would look like if I just sought pleasure for the sake of pleasure, I would be massively overweight, 
drug addicted and die of some type of sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> and I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but that is the reality. If you pursue pleasure for the sake of pleasure and that is your highest aim, dude, you are go- like that whole saying of live fast, die young. Yeah, you sure as shit are going to be dying young unless you're Keith Richards. But I think that dude's a clone anyway. Just kidding. But what is discipline if it's not putting off pleasure in the here and now for the sake of some type of greater good? I mean, it's, just, it's such a clear thing to me that if you are constantly in pursuit of pleasure, you are just going to be impulsively led around. You have no control over your own life. It's just the things that present themselves like, oh man, this, this could be a pleasurable experience. Anything that pops up like that you're going to forego any sense of value or ethic in order to pursue that thing. And I honestly don't think I need to dive any deeper into this. I have a couple more points listed here, but for the most part, people understand this to be true. And the people that I have met that don't believe it to be true have a very nihilistic view of the world to begin with. So if you start with that presupposition, then I guess it would make sense that you were just going to consume everything that was sensibly sensibly or sensually pleasurable until it killed you. Because a life without meaning, pleasure seems like it would naturally be the thing that would be driving you and the thing that you would want. Not just the only thing you'd want, it's probably the only thing that would matter on some level. Because if you are living in a way where you think that life is meaningless and there's no underlying value to human life and, and the nature of existence, then I think that it would make sense on a very fundamental level why that person would identify pleasure as the highest possible good for their lives. But getting kind of into the weeds there, so we'll move on to number three, which is do not under any circumstances depend on a partial feeling. Oddly enough, this was the one that, for me, was the most difficult to come up with talking points on. So I had to kind of scour other writings and other people's commentaries on this point to kind of develop an understanding of what he might have meant by writing this. For me, I kind of identified it as being being congruent with the biblical principle of being of sober mind. And I used to think that that meant, well, don't be under the influence of drugs or alcohol. And it may mean something akin to that, but it also means things like don't act out when you are in a heightened emotional state and you are lacking mental clarity, or you aren't seeing the situation for what it is and you realize you don't have all the pieces there. You can't depend on a partial representation of what is in front of you which is exactly what you do when you are acting out and do something in anger or in resentment. You know, you're acting in a mental state that obstructs your view of the reality of whatever the situation is. Moving on to point four, which is think lightly of yourself and deeply of the world, which to me says conduct yourself from a foundation of humility and not taking yourself too seriously. Which is kind of crazy that he would write something like that, right? He was a legendary swordsman. I mean, he's someone whose his writings are still relevant in like the martial arts community and the warrior community. Some people point to it for 
business practices, yet he identified the need to not allow himself to get too big for his britches or think about himself as being more important than he actually was because he was able to see the world in a much grander context. Because no matter how great he was, how enlightened he was, how much he had this warrior path figured out, on some level he knew he was going to be forgotten because the amount of great men and women who have been forgotten to history is just about incalculable. Everyone is forgotten. Everyone is forgotten eventually. The greatest men of all time will fall victim to time and be washed away from every corner of consciousness on the planet. And now I'm officially declaring myself a nihilist. (laughs) No, but I mean, that's when it comes down to like humbling yourself before God. And I hope like the religious language isn't too off-putting for some people, but like when you're talking about these ideas, there's no way that you can talk about the nature of life and the nature of the path and human existence and what it means to be living well without invoking religious language. I don't think that you can do it effectively. But anyway, back to the point, think lightly of yourself and deeply of the world. I mean, for that, for me, that means, hey man, remember, it's not all about me. There's so much else going on. I'm such a small component in the grand scheme of things that I shouldn't spend too much time over... I shouldn't spend too much time like inflating my sense of self-importance. Not that I don't think that I can't... I don't think that it's wrong for me to identify myself as a valuable human being. I don't think that at all. But I do think that you need to identify yourself as valuable while still understanding your place in the bigger picture. And it keeps you from like feeling like you have to attain greatness. And greatness is a is a spectrum, right? There's a, a scale there. And maybe that's just something that I've dealt with. Like, man, I need to achieve these things in order for you to feel worthy, whatever that means. But I've found people that live very simple lives. And I say simple in air quotes, right? Because no one's life is simple. But they're just so content with the blessings that they have. They're just content with it. They don't have this sense that they deserve something greater or that they necessarily need to attain something greater to make their time here on Earth worth it. Um, yeah, maybe I'm getting getting some of that wrong, but hey, I'm doing this on the fly, okay? This is all off the top of the dome. <laughs> We're moving on to uh, number five, which is be detached from desire your whole life long. And what I think that is pointing to is, man, I'm, this almost comes down to language games a little bit because being detached from desire, well, Miyoto Masashi desired something, otherwise he wouldn't have written this stuff down, right? He desired to pass it along. He desired to, I mean, he desired an understanding of the world, otherwise he wouldn't be so deeply entrenched in philosophy and his own, you know, and that's very clear in his writings. So I think that it would follow based on that, that it was more an idea of not being focused on the pursuit of external things, whether that be material things or 
relationships or circumstances, um, an environment, type of home, or maybe it was just the the idea of not being focused on gaining material items, like possessing things. And I'm sure there's plenty of people that have done deeper research and would have a better commentary for this point. But, I mean, on its face, I don't know if I agree with it, because desire in and of itself is not a negative thing. What you are choosing to desire is going to determine the value of that pursuit. Because if you are desiring to be an optimal husband, a loving father, a good friend, a competent human being, I think all those desires are good. Those are good things to strive for. So maybe that's not what he's talking about. Maybe he is not talking about those more ethereal desires. Maybe he's talking specifically about like desiring possessions and material goods. I don't know, but that's what makes sense to me. Um, And if you are a Musashi, a student of Musashi, a scholar of his works, feel free to leave a comment on my Instagram and kind of tell me where I I was off base with this whole thing. Uh, Moving on to number six, do not regret what you have done. And for me, this does not mean being a sociopath and going through life burning buildings down and destroying the world and not thinking anything of it. I think it's more of when you look back on your past and you see things that you did that were incorrect or out of line with who you are as a man now, do that self-reflection, do your repenting, but move forward with the new insight that regret has given you. Beating yourself up, and dwelling on the past is ultimately counterproductive. But self-reflection that brings about true, genuine behavioral changes, and not just behavioral changes, but changes of the heart, that's a positive thing. So analyze those past mistakes, you know, why you don't want to partake in that behavior anymore, or why your heart has changed from a way you view a certain thing. And then move forward accordingly. Don't dwell back on, oh man, I can't believe that I did that. can't believe I did that to this person. You can't unring a bell. So there's no point in trying. But you can look back on that incident that happened and move forward with the wisdom that it was able to provide to you. But that's a pretty, pretty basic and pretty cultured concept to get. So we'll move on to number seven, which is never be jealous. What a wasted emotion jealousy is. And it's weird because our culture today is so much about like flexing. Like I got this car, I got this girl, I got this house, whatever. And the thing is, like sometimes people will look at that and feel that that envy or that jealousy over it, but you've got no idea what that person's life is like. You just see these material possessions or whatever they've accomplished and a like little anecdote that someone had I can't remember where I'd heard it but it goes something like this you pull up to a red light and you're let's be honest you're beater of a car <laughs> and you look over and you see a a dude in a Ferrari this is going to be pretty like pretty contextual for 
the men that are listening. But anyway, you look over and you see this dude driving a dope Ferrari, super hot chick in the passenger seat. And you're like, man, I wish I had that guy's life. But what you don't know is that dude's company, he's like spinning plates trying to keep all the debt from getting all of his stuff taken away. The woman's actually a prostitute with a cocaine addiction. The car was rented, yada, 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 right? You can keep on adding these things into the story to make it to make it gnarlier and gnarlier. But the moral of the story is that you don't know anybody's story. So the things that you think you might be jealous of, dude, they could be poisonous. You could have a freaky Friday with that dude and then want your life back working your job that you, you know, that job that you feel like you hate and your house that you feel like you hate, you would want it all back. You just don't know. You don't know anybody's story. So being jealous of other people is just a, I mean, it's not, it's not worthy of your time. And if anyone listening doesn't know what Freaky Friday is, it's where <laughs> this mom and daughter's consciousness, they switch bodies. It's an old movie. Anyway, that is the last of the precepts that I'm going to go over in this episode. And we are hitting the 25, we'll just be on the 25 minute mark. So my challenge for you this week is to sit down with a journal, just a piece of paper and a pen, your laptop with a Word document, whatever, and start writing out your path. Figure out what your highest aim is, what your biggest aspiration is, and start determining what the boundaries are on that path that will keep you moving towards that aim. And the magic happens when it all starts to get congruent, like your desire to be a good spouse, your desire to be a good parent, your desire to find success in whatever given realm you want to find success in. If you can find an aim that is congruent with all those things, you are you're figuring something out. So sit down, figure out what you want, put the pen to paper and really articulate it down to the finest possible detail what that would look like, what your behavior would have to be to accomplish that thing. And once you establish that, you'll know when you're stepping off the path and you can get right back on. Thank you for sitting around and listening to me talk about these topics. I really, this has been one of the most fulfilling endeavors that I've ever been on. So that's going to be it for me. God bless. And don't forget... Do the work and stay on the path.